Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, happy Friday. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson and this is the only Daily Premier League podcast you will find. Today, as always, we're going to be covering off the latest news from the top flight, including a potential Premier League return for Romelu Lukaku and a new club for West Ham's jewel in the crown Declan Rice. We'll get onto those topics shortly. We're also going to be looking ahead to tonight's game as relegation threatened Fulham take on mid-table meh of Wolverhampton Wanderers in what has to be a must-win game for the Cottagers. But first off on today's podcast, it is off to Europe with a look back at last night's Europa League action for Manchester United and for Arsenal. We're going to be doing all that in the company today of Steve McNaughton as normal on a Friday. How are you doing, Steve? Morning, Jim. You okay? Yeah, I'm good, man. And making his Football Social Daily debut, we got Dan Tracy from The Real Football Cast, one of the fine football shows that you can find on the Sports Social Podcast Network. How are you doing, Dan? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about The Real Football Cast a little bit later, but let's kick on with today's matches or last night's matches I should say. Let's start in España for Granada nil Manchester United 2. Now I think it's fair to say in the game last night Manchester United didn't play particularly well but did enough and got the win courtesy of a very dubious penalty for Bruno Fernandes um, which we'll talk a little bit more about shortly which is kind of copy and repeat for the season. Didn't really play well enough, just did enough. Bruno Fernandes penalty have Manchester United been the luckiest team in the Premier League this season, Steve? <laughs> You're asking a Liverpool fan. <laughs> I know, that's why. I thought I'd get a reaction out of this one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's funny, isn't it? I think that they have benefited from some some dubious decisions over the season, I think. Um, but I mean, but, but I can't say, you know, my team have had that in the past as well, you know, where, mm. where we benefited from. So it is swings and roundabouts and it all does level out in the end. I thought uh, last night was absolutely a dire football match to watch. Um, I thought I didn't really enjoy it at all. I thought United just got, you know, did the job that they needed to do. And um, Granada, you know, apart from Kennedy, who who looked quite lively with his left Mm. foot, um, didn't really offer anything. And and it's a safe passage for United into the semi-finals that whole day. What did you make of the penalty decision that I touched on a second ago, Dan? It was the... The event that really sealed it for Manchester United. It was an incident off the ball. Ball coming in from the left-hand side. Bruno Fernandes appearing to get struck in the face off the ball. I've watched it a load of times and I can't tell what's going on. I couldn't find a good angle or a good replay that really gave me a view. It looked to me like Fernandes probably 
made the most of it. But it's really difficult to say it was a penalty in my view. What do you make of it? Well, as you say, you're kind of looking at the replays and you don't really know what you're looking at. Like, what is the action which has led to the penalty? I think soft probably describes it best. Um, If you were a United supporter, then obviously you're punching the air with that award. If you were, you know, Granada or any other team in that situation against you, then you'd be bemoaning the fact that it's been awarded. So, you know, you have seen them given, as we had seen them on Thursday, but, you know, not the strongest cast iron penalty award you'd ever seen. It's one of those scenarios, isn't it, where Bruno Fernandes doesn't have to go down. It, it, looks, it looks to me like he's struck somewhere across the shoulders, but he does the classic football thing, goes down clutching his face. And you'd think, with, with the amount of cameras, the amount of video replays and whatnot, you'd be able to rule that stuff out now. Well, you think so, wouldn't you? You know, you kind of look at that and think, over the kind of threshold of a penalty, especially with VAR, is it a clear and obvious error for it to be awarded? You know, why is there not a conversation from someone else watching it and say, actually, ref... Is it really a penalty? You might have to go and look at the monitor. There's extra place, extra elements in place to make sure we don't really see these decisions. So it's a bit frustrating we've actually seen it last night. I think, given the result, you kind of would have expected Manchester United to win this. Granada are ninth in La Liga. They've got the worst defensive record in Spanish football. In the, it wasn't that long ago. They were in, the, I think, about 14, 15 seasons ago. They were in the fourth tier of Spanish football. Ultimately, they're the Spanish Bournemouth, I think we can call them. But <laughs> Rashford put in a great performance. It was a very professional performance from Manchester United as well. 20th goal of the season for Marcus Rashford as well. And with the little partnership that he's developing up front, he is scoring goals again. Daniel James is playing well on the wing. He's come back into the team. Mason Greenwood's a huge talent. Anthony Martial continues to be frustrating. But do you think Manchester United really do need that world-class centre-forward to get to the next level still, Steve? Or do they have the tools in the armoury that they need to become a team that once again is challenging for the Champions League, challenging for the Premier League? I think they do need to bring in a top quality forward. I think, you know, Martial has, has not really delivered for him as, you know, for, for a big investment from Louis van Gaal when he was in charge. I think Mason Greenwood, as, as good as he appears to be, is still very green, isn't he? And um, I think, yeah, bringing someone in to, to ease the burden on Marcus Rashford will be a um, will be the right thing to do. I just don't know who, you know, they could go after really because you know, have United got? We know the strikers that are, are available this summer allegedly, and um, and you think you know, have United got the finances in place to go out and get one of them, or, or will they need to kind of be a bit clever and a bit cute? But I do think they need to sign another forward to uh, ease the burden on Marcus Rashford, who just continues to deliver for them, doesn't he? Every time he pulls the shirt on, he's, he's an incredible player. And I, even as a Liverpool supporter, I'm, I, yeah, I really do like Marcus Rashford. And for a I player think... that gets criticised for his goal scoring as well, to have 20 goals in the season, it's good. and not playing in that said the fourth position as well, he kind of tends to play out wide, or has been for much of this season. That's phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and I think that's what make him, makes him one of the first picks in the England team as well, doesn't it? You know, for that front three that will start in the Euros in summer. Like I say, I'd love him at my club. I think, you know, I think all the three, the others, two of you who are on the podcast would like him at your club as well. He's just a phenomenal <laughs> talent and I think that, um, yeah, good for him. One of the players that has been linked with potentially filling that centre-forward role, Dan, as a Tottenham fan is Harry Kane. I mean... We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. We rarely have Tottenham fans on Football Social Daily, so it's interesting to get your view from inside the club because the general consensus, I think, that a lot of us have come to 
this season is that Harry Kane is likely to leave Spurs in the summer and Manchester United is one of those potential destinations. How do you view that potential transfer? I think it's a case of stamp up the money because if we're honest, Daniel Levy is going to want an eye-watering figure for this to happen. And I think that Mm. even in private circles, if Kane has come to a conclusion or maybe mentally checked out that, do you know what, for me to actually win some silverware, I need to move. That is a different train of thought to Levy's train of thought, which is actually a case of really over my dead body. This isn't happening. And if it is, we're looking at, what, 150 million? And when you factor in Kane's age, his injury doubts, they're always going to be lingering and could argue are only going to get worse with age and the kind of fact that his ankle's always in danger of being rolled over. A club's going to look at that and think, you know, do I spend 150 million on Kane? Do I spend 75 million on Haaland? So I think price might not actually be the sort of deterrent that wards off clubs for at least another summer or two. You sound like you'd be fine with him going as long as you got the right compensation for him leaving. Well, I think it would be highly begrudgingly, but if someone mm. if someone offered them 150 million, you'd be mad not to take it with football being as it is. However, there's always that fear that Tottenham and 150 million is like oil and water. It doesn't really mix because then <laughs> you don't know how they're going to spend it. You only have to look at the bail money. I know it was what seven, eight years ago, and how they frittered away 100 million. Mm. You'd like to think they've learnt from that mistake, but then how do you replace someone of Harry Kane's ilk? You can't really, can you? Well, you can't. No. no. So that's which is why he's going to cost 150 million to get. Absolutely. As for the Europa League game last night, I mean, it was a game, Steve, that. Manchester United clearly were taking seriously, put out a really strong team, maybe surprisingly strong, but that said, United have kind of remained unchanged for most of the season. It was fine in last night's game, but it has meant that Scott McTominay, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire all picked up yellow cards last night, which means they are going to all be unavailable for the second leg against Granada at Old Trafford. Do you think that's going to be a concern for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Is the 2 0 cushion going to be going to be big enough because I mean they are three key players particularly when it comes to preventing goals going in the other end Scott McTominay defending that back four Luke Shaw's form this season has been brilliant Harry Maguire although he potentially hasn't lived up to the price tag is is key to that Manchester United defence do you think United fans are going to be worried about the second leg and potentially throwing away that lead? I don't think so. I didn't see enough last night from Granada to you know, overly concern Man United in the second leg. I think Granada will have to come out and attack them even more, obviously, when they're trying to overturn a deficit. And I just think that United will get another one or two next week, so they'll just pick them off on the counter. Um, United have the, the, the personnel in the squad who can come in and do a job and get them into the semi-finals where they're likely to face Roma, I think. For me, I think, it's difficult to see anyone other than Manchester United as the favourites for the Europa League now. Even though they're not playing that well, they certainly look like the strongest team still in the competition. And it's been four years without a trophy of any kind. The last trophy United won was the Europa, I think, under Jose Mourinho. How important do you think it is, Dan, for United to get that trophy this season, to get a tin pot back in the museum at Old Trafford? I think it's very important. I think for a club of their stature and being perceived as one of the best in the land. Four years is an incredibly long time not to get your hands on silverware. I think Mm. also, not from just the club size, but it kind of justifies Ollie's role at the club. You know, that kind of decision that at first he was an interim manager, a caretaker, and now he's kind of stayed on long. long interim, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I think that just would solidify his reign. It just adds a little bit of justification to his employment, really. And I think also it then kind of puts him up a, a, a tier or a calibre with other managers because he's kind of looked at that just playing legends who's been handed a job and 
taken to it quite well. But should he win something, he can actually then point to something on his CV and say, actually, I should be highly more respected. Let's move on to Arsenal's game versus Slavia Prague. It was Arsenal 1, it was Slavia Prague 1. And just when you think things can't get any worse for Arsenal, they go and pull out another stinker of a result, as we've come to expect this season. I mean, there are going to be a huge amount, even though it's kind of expected now, Steve, there's still going to be a huge amount of Arsenal fans really disappointed with that result because Arsenal should be putting a team like Slavia Prague to bed. They should be, and I think that um, I, I watched the highlights of that game last night, and what was quite interesting about it is that the highlights started in the 27th minute. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, that says everything about it. But Arsenal are in, um, which will be, you know, music to Dan's ears, but um, Arsenal are in a really bad moment um, at present. I think, you know, the wheels have come off and. They were so bad at the weekend. I mean, obviously you guys will have done forensic analysis on what went wrong in that game at the weekend. But last night was just another game where... What's mad about it is that they're actually creating chances, but they're just so wasteful, aren't they? You know I mean? There was like, you know, Bakayo Saka should have scored that one last night. Lacazette missed a handful, didn't he? And... I mean, that one where he went one-on-one and run from the halfway line. I mean, I mean, Divock Origi did it against Burnley and he's just, you know, smashing it against the bar. It's just, it's it's horrendous. And I think that Arsenal's problems run really deep. Um, I think it's a major cultural thing at the club. And I banged on about it for, what, 12, 18 months on the podcast, saying about the culture at Arsenal because... You know, towards the end of Arsene Wenger's reign, obviously he, he had it quite rough. And then Unai Emery's come in and, and not delivered. And Mikel Arteta's come in and, and the same is happening again. So, you know, you're talking about three people there who've tried to change things. And it's the, still the same old Arsenal, isn't it? And, um, that, you know, they, they, they score late on last night. Um, you know, Nicola Pepe took the goal pretty well. I mean, he's got really good pace, but we've just not seen enough of it, have we, from him? But see the game out, 1-0, go over to Prague try and get a goal, you know, go through to the semi-finals. Whereas now, they've let Slavia Prague back into the game with some... I mean, I thought it was poor defending. I mean, Mikhail Arteta said they didn't switch off. I think they did switch off. Um, and um, and I think that is symptomatic of what's gone on at Arsenal this season and, and seasons before it. And they're a decent side, Slavia Prague. They'll be well up for taking Arsenal out of that competition next week. And they'll be kicking themselves because... It was an opportunity to realistically probably try and face Man United in the final. And in a one-off game, anything can happen, as we know. But they're so wasteful. And again, you know, the personnel that have come in are not delivering for Mikel Arteta. And it's going to come down to the manager or the players very soon, I think. 14 games without a clean sheet for Arsenal now which for a team that should be looking at a top six place is an absolutely ridiculous stat. You mentioned the problem at the other end, Steve, and Arteta brought this up after the game, Dan, their lack of goal scoring. The quote from him was, the mindset has to be to go there and score goals and win the game because we have to score if we want to go through. I mean, he's talking about the away leg there, but obviously that had to be their approach in this game as well. And if you approach a game wanting to score goals, as a manager, why are you leaving... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang out of your starting eleven. Why is he on the bench? Surely, if you want goals, you play your main goal scorer. I see where you're coming from, but he's not been that great. I don't think it's a huge misstep to not play Aubameyang this season. If you'd taken Tottenham and Harry Kane and put him on the bench, then everyone would be up in arms in that same scenario. But he's not been the blistering player since that new contract, has he? So, And also, the amount of chances they had, they should have really won that game 
3-4-0, regardless of Slavia Prague's late goal. That should have been done and dusted before the 86th minute, before Pepe's goal. So it's easy to look in hindsight and then say, oh, well, had Aubameyang played from the start, they would have coached that game. But I think, really, the crux of the issue is the wastefulness that we saw at the Emirates last night. You've talked, Steve, before about Arsenal potentially needing to sell a jewel in the crown in order to rebuild their squad. And you kind of mentioned yeah. Saka or a player like that in that scenario. Is Aubameyang actually the person who Arsenal should look to sell? Because as, as Dan says, since he signed that... I mean, he had to sign the new contract because of to retain his value, ultimately. Arsenal couldn't be in a scenario where he was a free agent and able to negotiate to go elsewhere. He's now signed the contract and his forms... I don't think he's scored since March... But is now the time to go, well, look, OK, go to PSG, go somewhere like that where we know we're going to get a decent value from you and we can reinvest that money elsewhere. And you're probably still talking about 70 million quid for a Aubameyang. Do you think? No, um, not that much. I'm, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure it's that much, but I, I, I do under- appreciate what you're saying. I think that um, when... Them Arsenal managers have been let down by the board of that club. They they haven't supported them properly. Um, And I just think that if Mikel Arteta has got to consider selling someone to create funds, but he's got to have that guarantee that the funds will be available. And I just think that if you look at the, you know, assets in the Arsenal squad, should we say, and the people that are going to command... Big money, um, you know. I think I think Aubameyang. Unfortunately, you know, it, it's a diminishing asset at the minute. It's he's had a terrible season. Um, he's thirty-one years of age, and I just don't think that people. Who, I, I mean, when we were talking, you were talking, then I thought, what kind of figure could we put on him? And and I genuinely don't know. Um, I don't know whether it's closer to forty million. Um, I, I don't know whether it's a bit higher than that. It's very very difficult to judge it and. And you know, think of teams who've got an appetite to spend that type of money on a 31-year-old striker. Um, Which is why I mentioned PSG, because I can see a scenario, and that's what you need. You need an interest from a club who has bottomless pockets. And if Mbappe yeah. does end up leaving PSG, then suddenly there's a hole in that squad that needs filling. And PSG are one of those teams that they like the status player. And I'd say Aubameyang yeah. is still a status player. Yeah, he's still got that reputation as the name, and and you know you might be onto something with PSG because I think they may well lose Mbappe in summer, um, you know, before he enters into the last year of his contract. But I think that um, it, it is something that I could probably see happening. But yeah, they need to they need to probably sell more than Aubameyang. Then I think Arsenal need to raise seventy eighty million somehow and try and get two or three really good players and not not world-class players but really good players who can kick on a level or two because I still have faith in Mikel Arteta I still think he's a good manager or there's a good manager in there somewhere I just think he's been massively let down you know with people around him and you know they've got to shake this cultural thing that I keep mentioning because you know Thomas Partey was a beast at Atletico Madrid I mean when they they knocked my team out the Champions League last season um he just absolutely bossed us for two games. He was phenomenal. And they picked him up for 40-odd million. And he's just... I know he's had injuries, but he's done nothing, has he? And I just think that they've got to address things like that. You know, they've got to start demanding more and they've got to, you know, raise the standards and they've got to kind of, you know, have a code that everyone who comes into Arsenal Football Club has to adhere to. And, and you know, have Arsenal got any players who are going to, you know... And I'll get stick for this because I always get stick for talking about Arsenal. And, and I, you know, 
have they got any players who would literally run through walls for them? You know that would would you know hundred percent go into battle, give absolutely everything they've got. I'm not sure they have. I mean, maybe I think someone like Kieran Tierney, Kieran Tierney yeah. maybe Rob Holding as yeah. well. They're the young players, the next generation, do seem to have that about them. But I, I don't wonder how long we can carry on talking about Arsenal as potentially having a good team I think, it seems like we've been doing it forever I think they're going to fall down the table I think they'll unless they they put a line in the sand and do it because I think you know when you, in, in terms of North London Tottenham are the, uh, certainly the bigger team than them I think at, the, at this moment in time and um, I just think that you've got other teams like Leicester Everton West, West Ham uh, are going to finish probably the highest they finished in the Premier League for a long time and I think you know they're in danger of being kind of leapfrogged by them teams and you know Arsenal could be you know consolidating like an 8th or ninth place in the Premier League for the next few seasons unless they sort it out um, and obviously the Spurs fans will, will love that but um, <laughs> you know I think that, that that's realistically what, what was stirring and I can say that because my team have been there you know when when we took Roy Hodgson on um, when he replaced Doug Leash you know it, just horrendous and we, we, we just plummeted because the strategy wasn't right and the culture wasn't right in the club and then we, we you know we had to change it um, new manager, new owners, new ethos, new scouting, um, and we had to fight our way back. You know what I mean? But th- th- there's big problems there, and I'm sorry, Arsenal fans, but you know it- it's going to have to be addressed in summer. Certainly a challenge in the second leg of this one as well. Slavia Prague going to be well up for turning over Arsenal and adding them to the scalps already this season that include Leicester City and Rangers in the Europa League. So not too optimistic about Arsenal getting through to the next stage of the Europa League. Back to the Premier League next. It's Fulham versus Wolves tonight and it has to be a must-win game for Scott Parker. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Going to talk about Fulham versus Wolves in a second. But before we do that, we've got Dan Tracy on the podcast today. And Dan is one of the men behind the Real Football Cast, which is one of the shows you can find on the Sports Social Podcast Network, a destination to find your next favourite sports podcast. Not just football, everything, rugby, motorsport. There's even a wrestling drama on there. So you can go and find that at sports-social.co.uk. But tell us about the Real Football Cast, Dan. What's it about? Well, it's primarily a Premier League review show. We record every Tuesday afternoon and in the 60 minutes that are recorded, we mop up everything that's happened in the seven days previous. The the real football cast, why real football? It started as a website called Real Football Man because I remember Richard Keyes was big on real football men, you know, that kind of phrase. And it's just been a kind of extension of that, really. I used to be blogging like many other people and I thought, actually, I want to turn these thoughts into words. So it's just an actual progression, real football man, real football cast. It's one of my favourite terms, that real football man, or proper football man, I prefer. That's to, right. To, to, your Alan Pardews, your Sam Allardyces, that kind of uh, that kind of character in the game. We'll go and check it out alongside a load of other podcasts you can find on the Sport Social Podcast Network. As I said, sport-social.co.uk. Click through to the network, you'll find a load of new sport podcasts there. Let's talk about tonight's Premier League game, though. It is Fulham versus Wolves. Wolves playing on a Friday night again. And I've noticed this recently about Wolverhampton Wanderers. They either play on a Friday night or they play on a Monday night. 
Can we read anything into this, Steve, about how Sky are picking their games? Because I think they pick rubbish games for Mondays and Fridays. And for me, that kind of sums up how Wolves have been this season. Yeah, I think it's um, if, if people have got anything else to do tonight, you know, um, I, I probably wouldn't entertain kind of diving into that game. So, you know, um, Catch up on Call of Duty yeah, instead. Yeah, something like that. You know, watch, watch that. <laughs> um, you know, hit hit Disney Plus or whatever. You know what I mean, and um, you know, and go go and watch something. Uh, but um, yeah, I just think it's there is probably something in it because um, you know the, the, that is going to be a game that isn't going to draw massive numbers. I mean, let's face it, there's probably going to be tops a million people watching that tonight across the country. And um, in comparison with with some of the other you know blockbuster games that go on across the season, it's small fry. And um, yeah, I've noticed that with the Monday nights as well. You know where. We might have kind of like, you know, Burnley on there or something like that. And um, Sky have got so much influence on it because they're paying for the whole thing. So, you know, and and BT obviously. But um, yeah, I take your point and probably would be inclined to agree with that. For tonight, there are loads missing for Wolves in terms of squad. Willy Bolly has COVID. Uh, Johnny needs knee surgery. He got injured in the warm-up up against West Ham last weekend. Um, Marcel, Martinho, Jimenez all still out as well. I mean, those are key personnel for Wolves and particularly at the back, there's key personnel missing there, Dan. They conceded three last weekend. Do you think Fulham will fancy this one? Because they, they need to start picking up points and this will be circled in Scott Parker's calendar as a, look, if we're going to have any chance, we need to win this. Absolutely. I mean, when you consider that Fulham have lost their last three, that win over Liverpool is a distant memory now, isn't it? You know, that, they've mm. kind of had that high at Anfield, but they need to get back into business and they can't let Newcastle get too far away because although they play on the last day, if Newcastle were four points clear by then, it's game over already, isn't it? So you're right, Scott Parker's going to be looking at this and thinking, we need to get back into the winning groove and it has to start tonight. Do you think Fulham actually have the attacking prowess to score enough goals to stay in? the Premier League, because that has been their main challenge this season. Earlier on, it was they weren't scoring hard enough and they weren't keeping the ball out of the net enough. It seems to have levelled out a bit and their defence has actually been pretty decent. But actually, do they have enough going forward now to be able to score goals against a team like Wolves, who are going to be struggling at the back? I think they do just have enough in attack, but I think the defensive deficiencies that we were seeing at the start of the season are just starting to creep back in. Mm. You look at Aston Villa last weekend's Leeds at home, they were responsible for their own downfall, really. Even Man City at home as well. So those three defeats, they've been an element of, actually, had we tightened it up, we probably could have got you know points on the board. So goal's not the issue. I think it's more the defence is the concern. Do you think Fulham are still the ones that are going to escape the drop, Steve? If any, any of the bottom three are, because it wasn't that long ago we were picking them to be the team that would climb out of the relegation zone, probably be replaced by Newcastle. But Newcastle have picked up a couple of reasonable results recently they've built this three-point cushion between Fulham and Newcastle in 17th do you still fancy Fulham to do it or do you think maybe that's it's a little bit too much of a stretch now <sighs> I still think they'll do it you know if they, had to, if they had to kind of you know make it make a call right now I still think they'll get out of it Um I think that you know they've got to become a bit nastier Fulham haven't they they're too nice Um and I think you know what's the word that people use um Streetwise, isn't it? You know, um, they've got to be a bit more more clever, and I think they've got to make themselves first and foremost really difficult to beat, and and they've got to address them, you know, defensive issues that have just been mentioned. Then, and um, the only reason I say that is because Newcastle are in 
a horrendous moment. I mean, the vibe around the club is really toxic and the fans are really, really unhappy and that will be seeping through to the players, you know, before the games and stuff like that. And um, I just think that, you know, Newcastle probably have a more difficult run in them, Fulham. Um, So there's always one who's in the bottom three that manages to escape, isn't there? And I think West Brom will be... um, Buoyant after you know putting five past Chelsea last week at Stamford Bridge, um, they're five points behind Fulham at the minute, and uh, but they have a game in hand, so that you know that could go down to two if if the result doesn't go Fulham's way tonight. Um, but it's must win for Fulham, and I think you know if Fulham can win tonight, that can be a little springboard into um, trying to you know maintain the Premier League status. It is a home game for them. Dan and their home form has been absolutely appalling this season. Ten points they've got from sixteen games. It's the worst home record in the Premier League. Worse than Sheffield United, who I didn't even realise had ten points until I checked the league table. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer, so I don't expect you to give me a definitive answer. But why have Fulham been so poor at home this season? Why have they been able to pick up a relatively decent amount of points on the road, but really struggled at Craven Cottage? I think, well, we mentioned the defence. I think another theory could be that away teams aren't fearing going to Fulham because there's no home advantage for anyone, is there really, when you think about it. Mm. So I think it's a bit of a quirk. I don't think we can read so much into it. Obviously, they'd love to have more points on the board, but I don't think it's a fact that Fulham are playing bad because of X or Y. I think it's just that... Do you think that affects teams that are kind of lower down the league more so than maybe teams that are higher up it? The kind of lack of home advantage? Because you're right, that's been, we saw it in the German league when the German league restarted before the Premier League and before the English leagues that home advantage was wiped out and there were more away teams winning than home teams winning. Do you think that kind of trickles down and the lower you are you down the league, the kind of more you rely on that atmosphere and that home advantage? Yes, let's take Sheffield United as an example here then because mm, yeah. obviously, you know, not as bad as Fulham but still very bad themselves. With Bramall Lane being full to the rafters, you do wonder if they'd be quite in the plight that they're in. Obviously, there's an element of regression without the squad and all that, so it's hard to quantify how many points would be added due to the the roar of the fans and all that. But surely, if paying customers were in the ground, then there'd be more of a boost for the home team and all that. Of course, that could also work on the flip side, that that same pressure could work against someone like Tottenham, where if you're watching Mourinho ball and fans are booing because they're not enjoying what they're seeing, then that could add more pressure. So that kind of has its own set of balances between the home fans being a benefit and a a curse, if you will. So, yeah, I think there is more of an effect for the teams in that lower bracket, shall we say, but it's hard to actually say fans equals X amount of points. As for Wolves, Steve, before we get on to predictions, are they on the beach now? Eight games left of the season, one quarter left. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get into Europe. Is it a case of forget about this one, stop, reset, start again next year? But that said, if their form completely falls off a cliff between now and the end of the season, does that call into question the future of Nuno Espirito Sancho? We know what he's done at the the club. We know how highly regarded he is. But could he put himself under pressure if he allows his team to kind of switch off and coast to the end of the season? Yeah, definitely. They can't they can't coast away through to the season. You know, they've not won a game in five five and um you know the the six points above Newcastle United, stranger things have happened in football and you know they need they they'll be keen to, to hit that magical forty point mark, won't they? And um then they might put the flip flops on, you know, and then they kinda might be ordering the drinks or planning 
you know, holidays. Imagine someone, a lot of them will be playing in the Euros, I would have mm-hmm. thought, wouldn't they? But, um, yeah, Wolves have, have had a really bad season. Um, yeah, they have been had some injuries. Um, I don't think they've been particularly great in the transfer market. I think, you know... Um, I think you know Fabio Silva at thirty five forty million quid was has backfired on them, and um, they they do need to reset. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it, but there's no way they can switch off now because with with eight games left, um, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for them to lose half of them, and and that's what the danger is really. And I think that if they do get sucked in and they do finish 16th um, or, or 17th, worst-case scenario, I think that... The, the, I mean, I don't know about Nuno because they've got Portuguese mm. owners, haven't they? And it's it's very kind of um, boys' club, isn't it? You know, you've got, obviously, the uh, George Mendes there, the agent who's pulling a lot of strings with the playing squad and transfers and stuff like that. You've got Esper, you know, Esperito in there. You've got the owners. There's a lot of Portuguese players in the squad. Um so I'd be surprised if they did decide to 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 make a move on him like that. I think he'll get next season. They need to start strong next season, I think. They can't continue in the slump they're in. And I think if you get 10 games in and Wolves still aren't performing, then the questions will start to be asked. Let's do some predictions then. Difficult at the best of times, but this one seems absolutely impossible to call. Fulham versus Wolves, what are you saying, Dan? I reckon it'll be 1-0. Oh, good shout, right. Steve, what are you going for? Uh, 1-0 Fulham I think I put this one down as a Fulham win I think I went 2-0 Fulham I think they might just have enough we'll get ambitious yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> um, we'll be covering off all the other Premier League games that are coming up this weekend on tomorrow morning's podcast make sure you click subscribe click follow so you get that show as soon as it's ready we're going to wrap up some of the gossip in the back pages of the papers the transfer window is getting closer now and some of those transfer rumours are really heating up we're going to be talking about the future of Declan Rice Romelu Lukaku and Sergio Aguero next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Right, welcome back. Final bit of Friday's Football Social Daily podcast. I've been looking at the back pages of the papers, looking at all the rumours. We're going to pick some of the best ones. We're going to start with a story that's being reported in The Athletic. It says Manchester United will explore the possibility of signing England midfielder Declan Rice with any deal for with West Ham, which involves Jesse Lingard. I mean, we know that West Ham want to hang on to Jesse Lingard. But should they be prepared to let Declan Rice go the other way, Dan, if that is what's on the table? Well, let's assume that West Ham are playing Champions League football next season. It's not the biggest assumption. Well, it it is and it isn't. But, you know, let's assume they are playing some form of European football, shall we say. Mm. They don't really want to be handing over Declan Rice to get Jesse Lingard. You know, you want to be sort of strengthening a, a team which is going into Europe. And especially if you look at a squad of West Ham... You would then worry, have they got enough to compete on multiple fronts such as the league and Europe? And you probably think, maybe even no at the moment, certainly if they were to hand Declan Rice to Old Trafford. So I don't think that makes the most sense. I think trying to land Lingard at, say, 30 million, I think that's you know quite sensible after the form he's been in. I think really that's a no-brainer. But to then send your crown jewel up north, I don't think that makes uh, much sense at all. 
I kind of tend to agree, although I do see a scenario where you could let Declan Rice leave and say it was Jesse Lingard valued at 30 and then you got another, I don't know, 70 million for Declan Rice. Then you go out and get someone like Sander Berg from Sheffield United. Maybe that does begin to make a little bit of sense. But how about that valuation for Jesse Lingard, Steve? 30 million quid. I think he was valued at 20 million when the initial loan happened. So he's managed to bang on 10 million quid onto his value over six, seven games. And I guess that's my question. Six, seven games isn't a lot. And he has shown brilliant form. He has probably been arguably the best player in the Premier League since he came to West Ham and since he made that loan deal. But does 30 million quid still feel like a bit of a risk? I don't think so. No, I think that's probably about the going rate for someone someone like him at 28 years of age and um, the history he's got with Man United. I think you know him being previously a Man United player adds money onto that. Um, I don't know why it does, but I think it just does. Um, and I think that you know West Ham, I think spending that level of cash to bring him in and probably getting another two, anything between three and four seasons out of him, um, wouldn't be the worst business in the world. I, I'm just not sure that Jesse Lingard is up for staying there. Um, I think what happened at mm. Man United hurt him. Um, you know the way that he was frozen out and the way that he wasn't included and stuff like that. And I think the lad will have the bit between the teeth to go into that team and, and prove his worth. Um, but I, I don't see any issue with £30 million myself for him. Um, he's back in the England team. Um, he's an outside bet to go to the Euros, isn't he? Um, and I think, yeah, but I think if I was Man United, if I was West Ham, sorry, I'd be looking at just a straight deal for Lingard. I wouldn't want Declan Rice involved in it at all. If you were Declan Rice, would you want to go to Manchester United? Because he's, he's, he seems to be a player whose value goes up every single week. And he... There's been interest from reportedly from the likes of Manchester City. So, would you pick United as your potential destination? I mean, if the, I think it depends who's in for him. Really, um, you know, I think if Man City were in for him, or if or if a Chelsea or or um, Liverpool um, were in for him, I think that it'd be a tough decision for Declan to make. But I think United would fall down that pecking order in terms of clubs because I think he'd probably look at it and think, you know, where have I got most chance of winning the league? And I think them other three teams have probably got a better chance in in the seasons to come of doing that. And mm. um, and certainly the, the Champions League, Man City are on the precipice of, of winning the Champions League. I think they'll do it this season. Um, if not, I think it's in the post. Um, it, you know, for next season. But yeah, I, I think if Man United are the biggest team, no problem. But I think if you know two or three Premier League giants come into the mix, I think they'll still struggle to recruit him. Let's move on to Leeds United, where 90 Minutes are reporting that they are in the race to sign Manchester City's Argentine striker Sergio Aguero when his contract expires at the end of the season. We know he's leaving Manchester City, Dan, but can you see him staying in the Premier League? When you consider the relationship that he has with Manchester City, can you see him staying and playing against them week in, week out? Or, I mean, does he even have enough to still offer a top flight team? I think he certainly has something to offer. I mean, whether that role is starting every week depends who would sign him. If it was Leeds, then arguably, yes. If it was, say, Chelsea, then maybe he's just that experienced senior striker that they are currently utilising through Oliver Girard. Sorry, Olivier Giroud. So, you know, it's all about where he would end up and what role he would play. But I certainly feel he has something to offer. The question really is whether he wants to continue in the Premier League because there's always that element of sentiment isn't there you sort of think okay I've been a club legend and he's been there for so long could you go elsewhere or is it easier to break ties and go to 
Argentina, go to Japan, America, earn some big money in the twilight of your career. I can see him going to Atletico Madrid, returning there or something like that. Yes, I find it very unlikely he would stay in the Premier League. You mentioned Chelsea. They seem to have interest in any striker with any quality. <laughs> this window coming. They want Aguero, apparently. They want Alfinger Haaland. Not Alfinger Haaland. I can call him Alfinger <laughs> Haaland. They don't want to sign in. They want to sing Haaland um, this summer. And apparently they're in for Romelu Lukaku as well. If they can't get Haaland, they want Romelu Lukaku. That's according to Calcio Camato in Italy. I mean... In terms of Lukaku, I think most of us backed him to do well when he went to Italy. He's gone out there and he's really shone for Inter Milan. Do you think that's going to tempt a few Premier League teams to maybe look at him again, Steve? Has he proved himself? I think there was always a player in there, wasn't there? You know, if you look at how he was when he was on loan at West Brom when he was really young and and what he did while he was at Everton as well, um, the, the promise was there, I think. Um, again, it's he, I thought he was a strange signing for Man United. He didn't really fit the system and the way they were playing football at that particular moment in time. And um, uh, you know, and I just think that yeah, he will have his suitors because he's an absolute powerhouse, um, big, strong, gets loads of goals. I think it's his um, is it his third season on the bounce. He scored more than twenty in Serie. A. Um, you know he's probably going to win the title this season, um, which means more Champions League football for Inter Milan next season. And um, if, if I was him, I'd be like, you know, would it be the right decision to come back to the Premier League unless it's to replace Aguero at City? I don't think any other club um, w- would be the right move for him. I mean, if he went back to Chelsea because he suffered at Chelsea at the end, didn't he? And um, he wasn't treated very well. And I think that. He'd be mad to go back there. Um, but I just think, yeah, unless Man City come in for him, I'd stay where he is. He does get a bit of a reputation, Dan, Romelu Lukaku, for only scoring against the weaker teams. And as as we've kind of talked many times before, potentially the other teams around Europe, the likes of uh, La Liga and Serie A, don't have that strength from the very top to the very bottom like the Premier League has. Do you think that's still an accusation that can be put against Lukaku, that he, he doesn't maybe score the big goals against the big teams? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, ultimately, you can only score what's in front of you, so you shouldn't really be punished by playing in Italy. You know, as you say, the league isn't dripping with quality outside the top eight teams, but if you are scoring consistently, that's what puts you in the shop window for clubs to be you know, eyeing up potential £100 million moves. So, mm. if he was... A bona fide striker and scoring in these sort of big cup finals, but then you know what actual big games has he really played in recently? So again, that's not really a stick to beat him with. I think it's all about opportunity. If they win the league in Italy, into Milan, then obviously back in the Champions League next season, that could be the acid test. He might go on to actually take Inter Milan back to winning the trophy as they did in 2010. You don't know, do you? It's all about kind of what's right in front of him right now, and I think he's playing as good as he can, certainly better than what he was at Manchester United. So I think. The criticism is a little bit undue. Let's finish off with your team, Steve. I'd like to get your thoughts on this story in The Independent that the Japanese winger Takumi Minamino, who was a bit of a surprise when he did join Liverpool, but he was surprised when he was sent out on loan to Southampton in January. I think it seemed like a speculative signing when it happened in the first place. Now he's gone out on loan. I don't think he's been particularly impressive down on the south coast. Do you think this is a player that still has a future at Liverpool? Can you see him coming back and signing, or is this alone with a view to offloading him in the summer? I think he'll go in summer. I think that, and it's a funny one because, you know, we signed him from Salzburg for seven million quid after he had two really good games against us in the Champions League. And um, unfortunately, I think there is a good footballer in there. I just think he's a bit too lightweight for the Premier League. Um, I think it's a bit too physical. It's a bit too demanding. And I think 
he's not the most confident lad in the world. And I just think that um, the reason he was that out of the Liverpool team is that, um, you know, Jürgen wasn't seeing enough from him in training. Um, you know, he just wasn't kind of going at the level that some of the other guys were after they'd spent about six months at the club. And... Um, wasn't getting a lot of game time and the opportunity for him to go and get some football elsewhere has, has materialised at a very late stage and the club have took it and um, I think he's got three goals hasn't he for Southampton but apart from that he's, he's not pulled any trees up and I just think that you know one of the other leagues in Europe that aren't as demanding maybe you know Serie A or um, you know certainly back to, to um, you know the Austrian league um, might be a better fit for him and um it's hard because when you get to one of the big six clubs in the Premier League, um, the step up is so big from a lot of clubs around Europe and more players than than most don't tend to handle it very well. And um, you know, there's a few real obvious object of you know um you know changes to the rule in that, but I think yeah, just wrong player, wrong club, and um, but the timing was right at the, because he was off the, the the heels of of those two impressive performances against us, and I think seven million pounds in this day and age is is literally no no money to sign a player, and I think that Liverpool will probably sell him for ten or twelve in summer and, and get a, a very small profit on it, and um, I think he'll 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 come out of the um, club with a. You know, three medals for the um, you know the, the the clubs that Liverpool have the cups that Liverpool have won recently, and um, he'll he'll have a Premier League title. Did he on get his... medals for that? Did he play enough? Yeah, he got he got medals in the um, uh, the pre- he got a Premier League medal. Um, you know, so and the you know we we won the World Championship in um, January as well. Um, so he's he's got medals from you know playing at Liverpool, and I think he'll just be better for the experience for it, unfortunately. And we'll leave Football Social Daily for today there. We will do a full preview of all the weekend's games tomorrow morning. It will be in your podcasting inbox when you wake up. Click follow, subscribe. Make sure you get that as soon as it's ready. But that is it for today. Steve, thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Nice one, Dan. Thanks for joining us. No problem. And you can go and check out Dan's football podcast, Real Football Cast. You can find it on the Sports Social Podcast Network, sport-social.co.uk. And we'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.